When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right. It's the preview show. Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and this week our attention turns to the Premier League once more because Project Restart looks like it's finally going to be signed off within the next day or two. Yes, the three-month hiatus is set to come to an end and that means there are no fewer than 12 top flight matches that we need to preview on the show and we're going to go through each and every one of them. Carl is off doing some last-minute scouting for me, and therefore he won't be joining us this week. Fear not, though, as I'll be helping Drew run through all of this week's top-level matches. So, Drew, you're leading the line from the front. I hope you're primed and ready, and more importantly, how have you been? Oh, Dan, I've never been more ready in my life. I'm so glad that football is coming back, right? The Bundesliga has been back for a few weeks. La Liga returned this weekend, and now the Premier League back is coming in less than 24 hours. I mean, I, I feel like a kid in a candy store And honestly, if I was a kid in a candy store, my mother would beat me for acting out. That's how excited I am right now. So I'm ready to talk to you. Let's go ahead and get rolling. Well, if you're going to gorge on something, it may as well be the beautiful game. So before we get going, let's do the social media bits first. I will be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget don't forget to subscribe, but also leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and AudioBoom. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Also, a big shout to our content partners at lastwordonfootball.com. Be sure to check out the excellent work that Drew does and the stuff that I do after you've listened to this show. Right, there's 12 matches. It's time to go live. And where should we go first? I guess we have to go to Villa Park because that's first on our chronological list. Wednesday evening, Aston Villa versus Sheffield United. Drew, when you look at Villa, they're up against it. But at least, you know, they've had time to get some R&R, some rest and recuperation and all that. The same everyone will be as well. But you look at it from a sort of sprint point of view. Can Villa now find the ignition spark to get going and more importantly, keep themselves safe? Yeah, you know... I'm expecting a hot start from Aston Villa here. Um, one of the big things for them is obviously Jack Grealish, but they're having uh, they're getting John McGinn back. And right when he got injured earlier this year, he was a big blow to their attack. And so I think he's going to be a huge impact player for them over the next nine games. But in the in this match against Sheffield United, you know, I, the the thing with Villa is earlier this year they disappointed me on so many occasions. I threw in the towel. I gave up on them. Um, so I still think they're going to get relegated. But in this match, at home, even without fans, um, having McGinn back with Jack Grealish, I'm expecting them to come out firing and have a very good match in this one. They are going to be missing Wesley up front, who's still out uh, when he ripped up. I believe it was his knee earlier this year. But Mbwana Samata, who they brought in in January, looked good coming off the bench and when he started. So I'm looking for Aston Villa to put in a good performance, have a hot start to this restart, and battle for relegation. Again, ultimately, I 
I've given up on them. So they're not they're not going to survive the drop. However, in this game, I am looking for them and expecting a good performance and a good restart. In terms of their opponents, Sheffield United, obviously they're looking for a maximum set of points to aid their bid to go into Europe next season, which would be you know fantastic after getting promoted last time around. They have been sort of grinding out wins, not by huge scores, but you know it's been efficient, hardworking, diligent as a team. Is there the danger that because they have had to hit the pause button like everyone else, that they lose that momentum and the last nine games actually doesn't go as well as the first 29? Yeah, definitely. I, I think something with Sheffield United is, right, the way they play, I, I don't mean to compare them to Liverpool, uh, but, you know, a lot of it, everyone has to work together in sync. So I kind of wonder, with this long delay, is that going to hurt them, right? A lot of times these teams that everything is kind of a system – it's not just based around go out and play, guys. You see slow, slower starts to the season. And so I wonder if this layoff is going to hurt them. And like you said, they had all this momentum for you know seven, eight months, and then it just ended. Are they going to be able to recreate that magic? I think in the beginning, it might be a little bit tougher. I mean, we saw this and probably continue to see this with RB Leipzig in Germany. It's kind of the same thing. They play a system style, and that restart kind of hurt them when they came back. So I... I expect something similar to happen with Sheffield United. Okay, let's uh, do a prediction for this one. So I'm going to go for a one-all draw at Villa Park. What do you reckon, Drew? 2-1 Aston Villa. Oh, a big win for the Villa. So, right, let's move on to the later game that evening, Wednesday night. Man City versus Arsenal. Now, Drew, Man City arguably now have a tougher battle to deal with, that being in the courtroom. How do you think that one is going to pan out? We don't really get an answer until July. And also, will the sort of hanging answer that he's waiting for. Is that going to have any effect on the on-pitch preparations for the next few weeks? No, I, I don't I don't think it's really going to matter to the City players or to Pep because, I mean, number one, they could all just, you know, leave anyway, so I don't think it's really going to affect them. Plus, with this long layoff, I think Pep has probably gone out of his mind the past few months over-preparing for every single detail. Plus, he's going up against Mikel Arteta, his former protege, at City, and so I think he's going to be very well prepared. And for the players, you know, that's kind of the rap about Pep is that he burns out players after a couple seasons. Well, they've had this break to kind of get away, and so I think that's actually going to work in their benefit. I don't think any of the players are worried about what's happening uh, off the pitch in court. I mean, take guys like David Silva; he's already leaving anyways. You know, Sergio Aguero. I don't remember if he's confirmed that he's going to be leaving after this season, um, but the same thing. If Kevin De Bruyne, if these guys are leaving, they're not worried because it's not actually going to affect them uh, if, Man if Man City gets banned from the Champions League. Um, so I'm looking for them to absolutely destroy Arsenal in this match. Plus, you know, they're getting Leroy Sané back. I don't know if he's going to start, but he's going to be ready to go for, for the uh, final stretch run of the season. And Man City are just a superior team than Arsenal on all fronts. I, I'll let you talk about Arsenal because I don't really have good things to say. And I don't, as, as I referenced earlier, I don't want my mother to beat me for not saying nice things. So I'll give it to you, Dan. What do, what do you think about Arsenal in this match? Well, I wasn't going to sort of be gushing with praise, but I think you have to remember... <laughs> no one is. No, no, that's absolutely right. But you do have to take into account that they currently have the longest unbeaten streak in the Premier League. It's not Liverpool numbers, but it's eight. And that's not you know too bad. That said, a lot of those eight have been draws. Now, I think you can sort of say that progress is being made under Mikel Arteta. Whether that progress is quick enough, I guess we won't really know until the end of the season. With all that said, City do like to sort of hand out a whipping to Arsenal. There's no doubt about that. Now, Arsenal will, I guess, try and take some hope or some influence from German football. The fact that there's been 55 matches played since the restart and only 11 have resulted in home wins. That's 20%. One in five. Can they be, you know, something similar on Wednesday night? I doubt it because, you know, City are just that superior. They've got everything in the tank and more to get the better of Arsenal. And when they turn it on against the Gunners, they really do turn it on. So it could be quite a humbling sort of victory for the for the light blues. I reckon it's going to be a 2-0 win to City. What's your money on, Drew? Uh, definitely Man City. Uh, I'm going to go... Either 3-0 or maybe Arsenal nick a goal, right? Obama Yang is obviously fantastic. So 3-0 three, three or at best 3-1 to City. And America Laporte is going to be back, so he should help shore up City's defense, which has been terrible this year. So big win for City. Yeah, I can't see much further than a City win. So let's go to uh, Friday night now. Norwich versus Southampton is the 
I guess, prelude for the main event of that evening. But with Norwich, you know, obviously they <laughs> they are up against it. You know, if there's going to be a great escape, it has to start this weekend. With that said, we talk about teams that have lost momentum after being, you know, so good in the first three quarters of the season. Can Norwich look at this as a sort of point of the season where they go, right, you know, obviously nothing has really worked in that first phase. Let's just go for it. We've got a clean slate. We know what we need to do. Can they get anything out of Southampton on Friday night? They're definitely going to have to. I, th- I mean, I, I think you're spot on. They have to get going from this restart. I mean, essentially, if they want to survive, they probably have to win all nine matches, <laughs> which is nearly impossible. Um, but in the way that they started off the season pretty hot, I'm thinking they're going to do the same thing here, right? Defensively, they're getting um, uh, some of their better players back, which includes uh, Christoph Zimmerman and Ben Godfrey. So that's going to help them. Plus, Timo Puki. Maybe this this break is going to help him, right? Todd Cantwell has been very good this year um, in the uh, uh, in the middle of the park. So Norwich here, I I actually think they have a chance to surprise some people for a couple games in a good bid to survive. Ultimately, I don't think they do. Against Southampton, I think one of the issues here is both sides are going to want to play out of the back. Both sides are going to want to play, you know, pass through the team, right? Hassan Huda loves to do that, and. So then I kind of wonder, here comes here comes the chess match. Do they both try and play out of the back? Because you don't need to be, uh, you know, Southampton doesn't need to be the road team, so to speak. And, oh, guys, let's just sit back and hit on the counter. You don't have to worry about that. Um, so is either side going to sit back worried about the other team? Or are they going to go full force in their game? I think that's kind of the question here. Um, I'm expecting Norwich. They have to go all out. They can't afford to not win games at this point. Um, and that may leave them exposed at the back as well. So there's a lot of tactical things, I think, that are going to be really interesting to watch on Friday in this match. When you look at Southampton, they are all but safe from relegation. I think it would take quite the uh, miraculous downturn in results for them to go down from the point they're at now. So because of that, is there the danger that they take their foot off the pedal and that is something that Norwich can then capitalise on? That would have to be the hope. That's the only way the Canarias survive because, you know, Timo Pukki had a good start, but he also had a very long, uh, you know, kind of lull in the middle of the season and going into the uh, into the uh, hiatus. I believe he had two goals in the 11 games leading up to the stoppage, which isn't good signs. Right. So for Norwich, they, they have to hope that they can take advantage of Southampton mistakes. They have to go pedal to the metal. They they have to put on another performance like they did against Manchester City. It's a long shot, but I think they can do it. Daniel Farka seems to have motivated his team on several occasions, and he's going to need his best motivational speech now. Um, if I, if making a prediction, I'm going to go with a stalemate here, but a little bit of a higher scoring one. I'm going with a 2-2. Okay, I'm going to go for a Norwich win. I think that they might be able to play off the fact that Southampton are pretty much done and dusted and comfortable, or comfortable enough. So I think Norwich... You know, whether it's enough to sort of start this miraculous great escape, I don't know. But I think Norwich will win this one. I think a good restart for them. So I'm going to go for 2-1 to the Canaries. Right, let's move on to Friday night's main event. And that is Tottenham versus Manchester United. So, Drew, I'll give you Tottenham as uh, your brief. I don't want to be too biased myself. So you look at Tottenham and if we recorded this, say, three days ago, I'd be sort of waxing lyrical about Tottenham with a full-strength squad. Three days later, that doesn't seem to be the case. There's no... No Tanganga. I think the Celso's a doubt. Son played in the uh, Norwich friendly with a high amount of strapping on his thigh. There's questions about the medical team already. You know, we've not even been back and it seems like the house of cards is falling apart. So what has gone wrong for Tottenham again? Uh, what's gone wrong is that their name is is Tottenham. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> there's, a re- there's a reason the term is called Spursy. Um, all joking aside, um, I, I, I think the biggest concern, the two biggest concerns out of the list that you mentioned are Son. Because without a doubt, he's been their best player this season, last season, may- maybe the past three or four years. I mean, that's how good he's really been. And he's filled in the gaps when Kane has been missing. Um, now Kane is back, which obviously is a huge plus. So if Son is going to not be fully match fit and have to come off the bench, or if he's going to have to miss the game, that I think is the biggest blow. And then uh, Tanganga is another one, right? He's been immense defensively in pretty much any position across the back four or back three this year, um, under uh, especially under Mourinho. So he's going to be a huge loss, and that has been a problem for Spurs this year defensively. They've let in too many goals. They've had to chop and change. And so that issue seems to be rearing its ugly head again. So those are the two biggest ones for me. 
Um, against Manchester United, though, you know, how is Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes going to mix together uh, in midfield? We haven't really seen that happen. Is one of them going to overshadow the other and cause a problem? Are they going to run into each other uh, and and, and um, create problems because they want to play in the same spaces or make the same passes? So I think that's going to be an issue. So I don't think everything should be doom and gloom for Spurs right now. I actually think they have a pretty fair shot of taking at least a point if not all three, um, I know you said you want to avoid your bias, but I, but I'd be interested. I mean, what do you think about Tottenham's chances in this match, but also going forward? I mean, to be honest, I'm quietly confident about Friday night because I feel that we're in a much stronger position, even with these doubts that I've just mentioned, than we were two months ago. So, you know, if someone said to you that you can have pretty much all your attacking unit back fit, but you might risk losing Tanganga, I think that's a fair trade-off. I think people would, would take that. Of course, you don't want to be sort of too over-exuberant and think, you know, we are fully fit in inverted commas and thinking this is the one. But I think we have to be, you know, if we are gunning for the top four slash top five, these are the games that need to be won. Dare I say, if we don't win and we lose to Manchester United, then the season is pretty much done anyway. So I think, you know, it's a, what should we call it? A six-pointer, that's what they call it. So there's a lot riding on this one. In terms of Manchester United, though, the threat, I think, will probably come from someone like Rashford. You mentioned Fernandes. But in terms of who they sort of go either spirit the attack or as a wide forward. How do you think United will set up, Drew? Yeah, definitely. I think Marcus Rashford goes right down uh, – or I'm sorry, not through the middle, on the left-hand side, and you have Anthony Martial right down the middle. That's going to be – what that's kind of been when they've been most successful. Um, however, with, with Fernandez, right, because you want him playing kind of in behind as a number 10 or maybe wide left, so I think you're going to see some issues. I'm hoping to see Solskjaer – Go with a front two with Marcus Rashford able to drift out wide or even Martial kind of them being able to to uh, interchange and both go wide if needed while one of them stays centrally. And then Fernandez has to be great through the middle. I think he will be. He was great in Portugal for the past year and a half. And then he was amazing when he came over to United. I do think, though, instead of up front with Marcus Rashford and Martial, I think that big question is, Paul Pogba. How does he fit in the midfield? Where does he play? How does he link up with Fernandez? And, you know, are they going to to have a problem working together, wanting to play uh, in a similar position? So I think that's the key issue here uh, for United. I, I did want to ask you this. What did you make of Jose Mourinho's comments about Solskjaer being, you know, out of his depth, maybe in a little bit over his head at United? I mean, do, do you think he's being genuine or do you think it's just more Jose Mourinho mind games? Oh, I think it's mind games. I mean... Of course, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not... Whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is out of his depth, I think that's a bit unfair because he is, you know, doing a decent enough job with United. I don't think he's necessarily been given all the tools to go on and flourish. But I think for Mourinho to sort of say that, he's trying to get one over in a game like this. And especially after United overturned Tottenham earlier in the season, I think he's just trying to plot the seed for some weekend revenge. No, yeah, definitely makes sense. I mean, that is that that is what Mourinho does best, right? He loves to to go into the media and say things, whether it's about other managers, other players, or even his own players. Um, so that makes sense. I, I, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, for this match, I do think it's going to be cagey. Like you said, Mourinho and Tottenham, they need... They need a win here, especially up against a, a top four or top seven rival in Manchester United. Um, so that means it's going to be boring. He's going to sit back and park the bus. I really hope, I really hope Jose Mourinho doesn't do that because there's no fans to like jeer him or if they give up a goal or, or, or something like that. I would love to see him play an open, expansive 4-3-3, but I know it's not going to happen. But I think that would be great. Um, I think you're going to see them sit back 4-2-3-1, hit on the counter like Mourinho does. Um, and honestly, I mean, I'm going for a draw here. I'm going 1-1. I'm going to be a little bit more confident. I'll go for 2-1. But, you know, maybe I'm raising my own hopes. But I just think with Harry Kane back, I think, you know, that's the sort of impetus that Tottenham do need. We won't keep a clean sheet. I'm going to do that now. But I think we might just be able to knit this one and hopefully keep our season alive. Right, where should we go next? Let's go to Vicarage Road, Watford versus Leicester. And I think pre-hiatus, Watford's form was rather indifferent. And I think it's fair to say that any new manager bounce under Nigel Pearson had long since dissipated. That said, you know, they are keeping their heads above water for now. And a few more wins will certainly be welcomed within the next few weeks. So for Watford, I guess it's not necessarily about revenge for Nigel Pearson, what with him being a former Leicester manager. But if they can get all three <laughs> points, that would be a particularly sweet win, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. 
you know, Nigel Pearson to me, I know he's kind of got like this rough exterior persona, but I bet he seems to me, I, I, I could be wrong, but he seems like he actually is probably a genuine guy. Like if you got to know him, um, he, he, he may be rough around the edges, but he would probably be very intelligent, very, very well thought out in, in his words and everything. So I get what you're talking about with that revenge factor with him. But I bet he also understands, you know, what what happened with the whole situation when he had to leave Lester and, and whatnot. I'm going to guess he understands the situation. And, of course, it obviously worked out for, for Lester. Uh, they ended up winning the, uh, the, the Premier League the next season. And I think they actually do still respect him for, for that great escape that they had the season before. So I don't know how much ill will there is between them. Certainly, though, he's going to want to get one over on them. Who wouldn't? Um, for any team that you got fired by and for Watford like you mentioned they have to get points they are dangerously close to getting uh to, to dropping down to the championship next year I mean right now they're tied on 27 points they're only outside the top three because of goal difference so they definitely need a win and if they could take one off of Leicester City even though it's at home, right, there's no fans and everything. But if they could take one off of one of their toughest opponents, that's going to be huge for them. I think that would be huge for confidence. Um, and them, like so many other teams, have most of their players back. And so I think Watford have to come out firing in this match. They have to try and take advantage of Leicester's um, no Ricardo Pereira because he's going to be – he's out injured for, I believe, the rest of the season. Um, so Watford has to be able to take advantage of that hole that's going to be on – uh, defense at right back for Leicester. They have to try and take advantage of not having Ricardo Pereira attack against them. So Watford really need to put in a good performance in this match. Ultimately, I don't think they're going to be able to do it because I just think they're not as good of a team or squad as Leicester. Um, what do you What do you think about Watford? Do they have any chance in this game? I think they might actually because you know they scored Liverpool. I know that might have been a freak result, but they have always got a performance in them. Watford. I know their position in the table isn't too flattering, but you look at a Leicester side, there's only one one of their last five pre-hiatus. And there's, again, the danger that they've had a Herculean effort to get to where they are in that first phase. And you just think now that they've sort of hit the pause button and they need to go again, they might just be caught a little cold. Is that something that you might agree with? I, I see where you're coming from. I, I disagree, though. I actually, because I, I love Brendan Rodgers when he went at Leicester, when he got hired. I guess it was, what, 14 months ago, something like that. Yeah. I remember I thought, this was perfect. This was great. And then that hot start to the season. I know they had that lull kind of, uh, was it right right around Christmas and a little bit after that? But I think right now they're going to be refreshed and rejuvenated, right? Jamie Vardy has been fantastic this year, far exceeding expectations, both of him, but your favorite stat, uh, expected goals. <laughs> He's mm -hmm. way outdone that. Um, and so I actually have a lot of confidence that Leicester's going to come back very strong over the uh, final nine games of the season. So I'm going with a win here. I'm actually going with a big win. I'm going with 2-0 uh, to Leicester. I think they dominate this game. Fair enough. I mean, like I say, Vardy, he's got 19 goals this season. And when he scores, that's usually connected to a Leicester win. So I guess the objective for Watford is keep Vardy quiet and you should keep Leicester quiet as well. So I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to go for a 1-0 win for Watford. So it'll be interesting to see how the lie of the land shapes on that one. But let's go to the south coast of England now. Brighton versus Arsenal. So things aren't looking good for the Seagulls. They haven't won any of their last nine. Now they are keeping their head above water, so they're just about doing enough. But that in itself is a worrying trend. It's the same kind of downward traction that happened last season where they just about survived. Well, they did survive, but then Chris Shooton got the chop. Now I know Graham Potter's signed a new contract, so getting the chop doesn't seem as prevalent. Whether they go down, I think he'll still be in the job. But can they break that streak against Arsenal this Saturday? You know, that's... It's going to be tough. The good thing here, Brighton, right, they have – Glenn Murray has been you know, more, more of a substitute this year, but he's performed well when he's played. Neil Mope is – I want to say he's on eight or nine goals. He's just shy of double digits in uh, his first campaign in the Premier League, so that's great for him. So I think Brighton do have a chance here. And then um, – oh, what's his – is it Aaron Connolly? Is that his name right? Yep. The, yeah. He, he's been fantastic this season as well. And so I think Brighton do have a chance here up, up against an Arsenal side – which has been horrible 
defensively, I mean, if when David Luiz is one of your best defenders, that means you have no defense. And so I think Brighton have a good chance to take advantage of that in their attack. And, and you know, you mentioned Graham Potter. That's the way he likes to play. He wants to play, you know, the more sexy, silky smooth style, play out of the back, pass through teams. Um, they're not in a much higher position than they were under Chris Hutton last year. So, you know, change the style, but no big change in results. But in this match, I'm actually looking for Brighton to have a pretty good performance. Um, it, it, it all It's all going to hinge, of course, on those attacking players. Are they going to be able to finish? That's going to be the biggest thing. Um, and going up against Burn Leno, who's a very strong keeper, that's going to be tough. Um, but I think Brighton do have a chance here. Everything hinges on that attack up against a very, very poor uh, Arsenal defense, who is playing midweek, right? So they're going to have less time to rest, uh, where Brighton is going to be a little bit more refreshed and not have heavy legs necessarily. Um, I mean, which way do you see this going? Well, I guess a lot of it depends on how Arsenal do against Man City. If they get a sort of thrashing that we come to expect, then that might sort of play into some doom and gloom against Brighton. However, if they can sort of hold their own and are respectable at the Etihad then I think they'll sort of use that one as a, OK, well, we didn't expect too much anyway, and Brighton is the game we will identify to win. I think they'll probably edge it because I just feel that Brighton just oh, haven't really impressed at all over these last sort of two, three months. And I think I sort of almost worry for them more than the likes of West Ham or Bournemouth. I just think they are in a real negative spin. I think almost the hiatus has done them a bit of a favour because at least they can sort of stop and not be losing games each weekend. But they've got to start winning at some point. I just don't see Arsenal as the game that is the, the one that will deliver them three points. So I'm going to go for a 2-0 away win to Arsenal. What about yourself, Drew? You know, I I, I want to go bold here, honestly. I want to well, go get, bold get, 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 and, on. and, and say 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say 3-3 three, three, that Brighton, because like you said, right, they're, even though they're higher up in the table, they're really still close to that relegation fight. And so I I, I want to see them go for it, and I want to see high scoring. I, I want to say 3-3. Three, three. But I also feel like I'm going to look like a fool, and it's not even going to be close to that. Right, well, let's lock in 3-3. Come on, there's nothing wrong with that. You can be bold. All right, let's do it. 3-3. Good man. Right, OK, let's go to East London next. West Ham versus Wolves. So West Ham, they're another club who are just managing to keep their heads above water for now. That said, they've got to get out of the blocks quickly. They can't just think, OK, well, we're on the right side of the relegation zone at the moment because it can change within a week, you know, very, very easily. So they go up against Wolves. How much of a chance do you give them? This weekend? Almost zero. Yep. I, I mean, honestly, <laughs> the, the only reason they have a chance is because you have to you have to play the game. That's the only reason right now, right? Um, Sebastian Allaire has not been consistent at all this year up front for them. Um, David Moyes, I don't think, is really the manager for them. Um, uh, Felipe Anderson this season has not recreated what he was able to do last year. I mean, they just have not been good really anywhere in the pitch. I mean, you could arguably say Mark Noble, who is average at everything, has been their best player. And that's not really a formula for success. And I think the pressure that they're under right now, thankfully for them, they're not going to have fans, you know, 50, 60,000 at the London Stadium jeering them for 90 minutes as they put in a bad performance. Um, so I think that's kind of the biggest thing for West Ham. I don't give them a, a big shot in this game, especially because you look at Wolves, and they've now had a long break. They don't have to be managing Thursday Europa League with Sunday matches in the Premier League. Um, and they and don't forget, you know, they started their campaign back in, what was it, July in the Europa League qualifying rounds, I believe. And so this is, I think, uh, this was a good break for Wolves. They have been firing on all cylinders for most parts of the year as they did the season before. And so I think they come out in this match firing again, and I think they're going to cause West Ham a lot of problems. And so I think West Ham right now have to be really fearful about this game. I don't have a lot of hope for them. I mean, what what, what do you think about either West Ham or Wolves? Which, which side do you think is coming in hotter for this one? Oh, Wolves, without a doubt. Like you said, that rest after such an already elongated season is going to be a huge benefit to them. Could even be the injection spark to really push for top four, top five place. So... If you look at their last nine games, I can't read them off the top of my head, but they will sit down and think this is a perfect way to get out of the blocks and get three points straight away. And then that could set them up very nicely for the rest of the campaign. So I can't see anything but a Wolves win. Not a comfortable win. I don't think they're going to run away with it, but I think they'll come out on top. I reckon it'll be 2-1 to Nuno's men. What about yourself? I'm going with 2-0. Wolves take this one easily. They, they probably won't control possession, 
uh, right? Because a lot of times they don't, especially on, on the road. I know there's no fans, but I'm going with a I'm going with a comfortable two two nil win to Wolves. Um, they're gonna sit back for the most part, I think, play their game and hit them on the counter like they always do. Okay, let's go back to the South Coast now. Bournemouth versus Crystal Palace. This wraps up Saturday night's offering. So Eddie Howe's men will be looking at this game as a must-win. The Cherries, they look ripe for relegation plucking at the moment. And I think a failure to win against Crystal Palace could be something of a disaster. So, you know, we talk about must-win games for teams. This is surely one for Bournemouth, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Something that I think has helped them is Harry Loan. Harry Loan? Harry Wilson has extended his loan. Uh, from Liverpool until the end of the season. So I think that's that's a big, huge help to them. Um, Ryan Fraser, kind of where his head is at, right? He even admitted recently that his head kind of hasn't been there all season. He hasn't thought about the team. He's been worried about what happens next year. because His, his contract uh, uh, expires this season, right? This summer, I believe it is. Um, and so that's kind of been something that's been on his mind. And so I, I think for Bournemouth right now, they have some goods coming, but also not so good. You know, Callum Wilson, he, he's been he's been solid this year, but nothing spectacular. Um, and I, I don't see him doing anything amazing to help them survive or something like that over the final uh, few games of the year. I think for Bournemouth, this is going to be a big indicator of the rest of the season. How is how is their defense going to hold up? Right, Jefferson Lerma, Nathan Ake, um, Cook, Francis, how are these guys going to do? in this match against Crystal Palace, right, at home in a relegation fight with all the pressure on them over the final few games, I think you can take a lot from this game. So how they perform on uh, Saturday is going to be an indication of how they perform over the rest of the season. So I think this is a huge match for them out of the gate. You mentioned Ryan Fraser. That's a good point, actually, because he's been public in the sense that he's not going to sign a new contract. If you're Eddie Howe, how much trust do you put in him as a player over these last nine matches? You know, that that is that is the million dollar question. And because he's good enough, right? We saw him last season. He actually he has the ability and he's hitting his prime years now. So he certainly is good enough to be starting. He's one of their better attackers. But if his head isn't there, if he's gonna continue to have a bad season like he has so far, then I think you have to bench him because you can't rely on him. So that's the gamble right now. If I'm Eddie Howe. I play him in this match. I, I tell him, like, look, you got one game and maybe even only 60 minutes at that. But I, I, I start him against Crystal Palace. I see how he plays. You know, is, is he able to link up with his teammates? Does he take a nice free kick, um, whether he scores or not, right? Is he able to get an assist or a goal? I give him 60 minutes, one game at most, to see where his head is at and how he's going to play. And if he does not perform well, then he's on the bench the rest of the season. As for Crystal Palace, I think they're pretty much safe. Roy Hodgson's already said that he's going to be rotating quite heavily in this last phase. A lot of youth is going to be playing. So with that in mind, Bournemouth's chances have pretty much increased overnight, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. I think that, that you know, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Wilfred Zaha. I recognize the talent, but I do think he's overrated. So if he's only going to play, you know, one half, 60 minutes, then that is a, a huge uh, uh, benefit to Bournemouth. And with the rotation that, like you mentioned, Hodgson has already said, yeah, I'm pretty much going to do this because we're not worried about re getting relegated. Um, that is a boost to Bournemouth. But there's a reason they're in the relegation fight. So they need every every little bit of help they can get. I don't know how much that's going to help them in this match. Like like I said, this match, the way they perform, you know, win or not, but the performance on the pitch is, what, is what's going to be the key indicator. I'm not putting much hope in in Bournemouth. They've had a good, was it five or six years now in the Premier League? And I think it may be coming to an end. So ultimately, I'm not expecting much out of them. I'm going to go with a 1-1 draw. I'm going to go for a 2-0 win for Bournemouth. I think they'll get the, the leg up they need from Palace because I, I don't see Palace putting in anything between now and the end of the season. You've already had players sort of saying, oh, well, not too keen on going back. And Roy's almost on the beach himself. So I just can't really see Palace really pushing himself to their previous levels. But I can be wrong, and there's no doubt about that either. So let's go to Sunday next. Newcastle versus Sheffield United. Now, weeks ago, we spoke about a Newcastle takeover at length. That still hasn't happened. The longer that doesn't happen, gets people worried. It also, I guess, relaxes Steve Bruce because he's still in a job. That said, if this is all going to take place, the players on the pitch that take the uh, the role on Saturday, sorry, on Sunday for Newcastle, 
they're almost sort of playing for their futures now, aren't they? So what kind of performance can we expect from them between now and the final day? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Steve Bruce is probably also managing for his for his future. Yeah, good point. Um, you know, I, I, kind of like with City, I, I don't know how much I put into it. I, I don't think the players are worried about the new owners so much or, or possible new owners. I think more they're they're worried about Kind of, kind of like every other player, you know, this one game, this season, what's going to happen next year? Because um, how how much is Newcastle really going to to spend if they get the new owners? Right, a lot of their targets have been players that were out of contract. They're going for a lot of frees, and so how many hugely talented players are you getting on free transfers? Usually, not that many. They're 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 either maybe head cases, which is why the the club didn't want to re-sign them, or because they're getting older in age or they're fading in, in ability or something like that. So if I'm a Newcastle player, I'm not worried about that too much. I think the biggest thing for Newcastle here is Martin Dubravka, their keeper, he's ready to go. He's back. That was a huge, huge loss when he went down earlier this season. Right? Their defense has been pretty good this year um, in the back three, being able to to hold off, uh, you know, Spurs in the beginning of the year and some other teams, they've impressed me. I tapped them for relegation, hundred percent guaranteed in the beginning of the year, and they've proved me wrong. So defensively, they've been pretty solid. It was Dubravka's absence and net which really hurt them. But now that he's back, I think they're going to have a pretty good chance here. The problem is, can they score? They haven't been able to do it. Right, Joelinton half the time is sitting near the center circle, and as a center forward. That's not a. That's not going to help you when it comes to scoring. So I think for Newcastle, that's the biggest issue here, right? Sheffield United. I know we talked about them already earlier, but defensively they've been very strong this year. So that's kind of the issue. Is like you mentioned earlier, how are they going to come back? You know, in form and 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 things like that against a Newcastle side that hasn't really put in goals. So I think that's the matchup to be looking for right now um, uh, in this one. I mean, what about you? How do you think the Newcastle players are going to uh, react, I guess, to to the rumours and all the, the new ownership stuff. I think, like I said, they've got something to play for now in themselves. You know, if they had a relegation battle, that would be like extra stress. And you think, oh, no, you know, we're trying to stay up and we're trying to play for our careers. Now that the objective level of safety is almost achieved and you can sort of assume that they won't go down, it's like, right, OK, if I want to be here long term and I'm really committed to the club, I need to start showing what I'm about. I think you mentioned Martin Dubravka. And even if they had a cabal of superstars join, I think he'd be one of the players who'd still be in Newcastle Colours next season. Because I think he's probably been, not underappreciated, but he's certainly been the unsung hero of Newcastle's team this season. Like I say, it's no coincidence. Oh, yeah. It's no coincidence that they had that mini sort of rut when he was out. So the fact he's back in and offers solidity has been almost the thing that has negated the fact that Newcastle have scored so few. They've got away with it shall we say. And I think Dubravka has been absolutely pivotal to that. So he'll be at Newcastle next season, I think. You know, I think he's been one of their key men. Whether he can sort of keep a clean sheet on uh, the weekend, I'm not too sure. I think Sheffield United will just nick this one. It's not going to be too entertaining, but I think they'll win this by the single goal, 1-0. So what do you reckon? Oh, I'm going with the same one. Yeah. Great minds think alike, Dan. Yeah, I'm going Sheffield United on on, on the break is, is going to put one past them. Um, even, again, as good as Newcastle's defence has been this year, putting up Herculean efforts, I think Sheffield United are going to be able to to take this one. OK, let's go to Aston Villa again. So we sort of touched on them, and they're up against your boys, Chelsea. So if they're doing something against Sheffield United, what do they have to do differently against the Blues? Ooh, this one's going to be tough, because for Aston Villa in this match, right? Ch- Ch- well, OK, here's the thing. Chelsea's defence has been their their Achilles heel this year. And so the same thing... For Aston Villa, they're going to need their attack to be firing on all cylinders, right? Um, and Buana Samata, Jack Grealish especially, and um, John McGinn. That's going to be the key issue here. But for Villa, I think defensively, they're going to have a nightmare in this match. Chelsea has everyone back. Tammy Abraham, Christian Pulisic is ready to go. Um, at Mason Mount, of course, who's been pretty good this year. Callum Hudson-Odoi is ready. So they're going to have their full attack. And so that's going to be, I think, uh, the key issue here for Villa is defensively, are they going to be able to cut the mustard? And in this match, I know they've had a long break already, but coming off uh, a, a game against Sheffield United where they need every single point, or and they need to put or go, you know, pedal to the metal, doing it a couple days later against Chelsea, I think is gonna is gonna hurt them. So for Villa in this game, defensively, they're gonna need to be strong, but I think they're actually gonna struggle. 
uh, quite a bit. So I think that's the key issue for he, for for them here. Um, what about for you? What do you think they need to focus on against Chelsea and trying to get another three points in their relegation fight? Well, that's going to be a big ask on Sunday because if you look at Villa, they almost average, or I think they do average, two goals against a game. And that in itself is relegation numbers that you can't hide from that. So I think you've got to work from the back first and just keep Chelsea quiet. If you can do that and frustrate them for, say, 20, 25 minutes, grow into the game, maybe get the first goal, you don't know. The fact there'll be no sort of fans to then help you push on might be the thing that sort of works against them. Because let's say, you know, you're in a, f- a, f- a fevered Villa Park, you've gone in front usually, you've got 30 or 1,000 fans that are willing you to get over the line. If, if Chelsea go behind, it's just a case of dust yourself off, OK, well, we can get back in the game quite easily. So that might work against them. As for Chelsea, you know, there's obviously increased optimism in the air. They've almost landed Timo Werner. And also, it's a case of job nearly done. So now they need to get the job done. Can they get that job done and return to the Champions yeah, League next season? Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think that's kind of one of the interesting questions for Chelsea right now is with this with this young squad, right? Do they have enough to actually finish the job, right? Because, you know, that's one of the things you always hear. I, I'm not one to make the experience argument very often, but I think that's what you always talk about is do you have the experience in the dying moments to, you know, uh, to keep your head in the game and to finish the job? And so for the end of the season – that's what they need to do. Um, defensively, they've been pretty weak. I, you know, set pieces as well is a th- is a place where I think Aston Villa can take advantage and beat Chelsea in this match. Um, ultimately, I do. I, what I think happens is Chelsea ends up outscoring them. Um, is what's going to happen. That's what they're going to have to do. And especially, like I said, with as many of their attackers back and ready to go, Frank Lampard has all his options available. And so I think that's going to be the, the thing here for, for this match. I'm going to go with, with a high-scoring one. I'm going to go 3-2 to the Blues. Chelsea is back, and I couldn't be more excited. Unbiased, of course. Of course. I'm going to go for a Chelsea win as well. I just think, like I said, Aston Villa's two-per-game ratio of conceding will continue. I just think their defence isn't tight enough, and that's going to cause them a lot of headaches. Chelsea will have too much in the attacking third, and I think they'll win that 2-1. Right, let's go to Sunday's final game and it could be the party for the Premier League because if Manchester City lose on Wednesday nights, it sets up a title-winning opportunity for Liverpool. We'll get to them in a minute, but Everton, so they're 12th. Again, new manager bounce has long sort of dissipated, but they do look much better under Carlo Ancelotti. Perhaps they haven't quite got the results they've deserved under the Italian, but there is a sense of progress and quite quick progress, which is important for the blue half of Merseyside. If it does... If it does go oh, down, sorry, go that's right, mate. If it does go down to this being a title party, can Everton play the role of party poopers? No, no, they're not. <laughs> nope. Simple enough. <laughs> well, for two reasons. Number one, no, Liverpool's way better than them. And I, what is it, Liverpool? They, I, was it Everton hasn't won a Merseyside derby in like ten years or something? Something like that. Yeah. Something yeah. Like it, it. Yeah. Um, so that's one reason. But also, I think it's because Manchester City they don't they don't lose uh, tomorrow night. Therefore. Liverpool's not going to win the title at Goodison Park. Um, No, but I agree with you that Everton has looked a lot better since Ancelotti has come in. And I think they have been robbed of some points and some results with with good performances, unfortunately. What what I wish, or not, not me, I guess, but what I think Everton would have really benefited from was, right, a long break like this is great, you know, fresh legs, all that good stuff. But is getting a long period to work with Ancelotti, um, kind of in the way that you know Leicester City did under Rodgers when he came in last year um, before the season ended. This break and having a lot of time to train could have provided that opportunity, but of course, with individual training, full contact training being very limited to the past couple weeks or whatever, I think that's unfortunately Ancelotti hasn't had as much time to work with them uh, as he would have liked. To, to really get them up to speed in the way that he wants to play uh, and, and all of that. So Everton, while improved, not enough yet at least. I think they definitely can be. I think they have a very good manager that's going to help them. Um, but ultimately, Liverpool are a far superior side. And because the title hasn't been wrapped up yet, I think Liverpool absolutely smokes them. Uh, in this one, I think Jurgen Klopp is going to have them ready to go, itching to go to try and get this title uh, wrapped up as quickly as possible and, you know, try and break as many records as they can as well. So I think Everton have no shot. I mean, do you have any any glimmer of hope for the Toffees, Dan? Um, 
I think if it was riding on the role of party pooper, then there's always a hope, isn't there? Because you want to sort of spoil what your nearest rivals, your local rivals want to do. But like you say, Liverpool has just been absolutely scintillating. And even with a three-month break, it only sort of serves to recharge their batteries for them to go again. You know, we've spoken about loss of momentum and how that can halt progress and all that. I don't see that happening with Liverpool because I think they just have been absolutely a class apart. And unfortunately, Everton, like you said, in terms of Carlo Ancelotti, if he could have worked with that group of players day in, day out for three months, then you'd be like, hang on, this is a dangerous Everton team. There's still the hope for that next season in the same blueprint as Leicester. But I think any sort of reversal of fortune is going to be too quick to come around this Sunday. And for that reason, I'm going to go for a Liverpool win. I don't think they're going to absolutely smoke it. I think they'll win it 2-1. But what about yourself, Drew? Yeah, Liverpool win here. Um, I, I, I am going to go a, a scoreline that's the same 2-1. And I do think it'll be closer. Or, or Liverpool's not going to run away with it in, in the way that I think people expect, even though they are the far superior team. Um, but I, I still think a pretty comfortable win. Liverpool is going to have Jordan Henderson back. He's he's uh, ready to go, you know, whether he starts or not. Klopp has a ton of options in midfield. Um, so if, if there's any slight chance that he's not 100% fit, they don't need Henderson to play, even though he probably does make that midfield and that whole squad much better. But good win for Liverpool here again, 2-1. I'm with you, Dan. Okay, let's wrap things up with the final one. Monday night, Manchester City versus Burnley. So I guess for Man City, whether they beat Arsenal or not, if you look at the table as things stand, they look comfortable in the top four. However, there is that court case hanging over their heads. So what is the motivation for City between now and the end of the season? They can't win the league. They can't really fall out the top four. Is it just making sure they protect that safety net just in case the court case does go their way? Well, I think that's part of it, but also because, I mean, if I'm a player, I don't want Pep to strangle me after the game because I, I think that's what he would do. <laughs> if, they, if they put in a bad performance against Burnley at home, oh my God, Pep is going to be fuming. So I, I don't think there's any way that happens. I mean, honestly, you know what he would do is he, he would just bench them all. If they put in that bad of a performance, he's just going to play like the U19s in the next match. So <laughs> I don't I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, Burnley is not that strong of a side either. Um, City, right, City's the, their, their vulnerability has been defense. But like we mentioned earlier with Laporte coming back, I think that's huge for them. Uh, so I, I think City, they're going to be very, very comfortable in this match. I think for Burnley, someone you have to, to hope is going to play well. Uh, of course, Barnes and Wood up front, but you you have to hope that Dwight McNeil is going to be good, right? He's been fantastic on the left wing. He's a great crosser of the ball, and he's going to have to continue to do that, right? They're going to have to try and nick goals on a set piece or a free kick, or I'm sorry, well, that's a free, that's a set piece, uh, a corner or um, a free kick or something like that. And uh, I think that's going to be the way that they really have a chance because going up against City. Burnley's going to have to sit back, soak up all that pressure, and I don't really think they're going to be able to hit on the counter, especially not with someone like Laporte back uh, defensively that's going to help them. So for this one, I'm going with a very comfortable City win. I'm going to go with 2-0. Yeah, I'm going to go for a 3-0 win. I think with Burnley, they haven't lost in seven, so it's the second best current streak in the Premier League. And if you looked at the table, you'd think they might even just have an outside chance of finishing in Europe. But with Burnley, we've seen them in Europe before, and they couldn't really wait to get out of there quick enough. So... What do Sean Dyche's players do now? Yes, they can't be seen sort of just folding matches, but where they are, they don't really want to go neither higher or lower at the moment, do they? No, absolutely not. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. They have to balance not collapsing, not not that they'd be in a relegation fight, but you also don't want to aim too high. As dumb as that sounds, why would you ever not aim high? Um, but because, like you mentioned, when they were in the Europa League not too a few seasons ago, right? It didn't go well for them, and they were in that relegation fight for half the season. I mean, is that really worth it again next year? I, I don't know if it is. Um, you know, if, if if they do strengthen their squad, or I'm sorry, if they do qualify for the Europa League, are they really going to be able to strengthen their squad, right, with this stoppage, not making as much revenue because no fans? You know, they're, they're not really going to be able to buy anyone either. So I don't think qualifying for the Europa League really helps them in any way, shape, or form. So I think right now, for, for them, again, as dumb as this sounds, draws are the best thing for them. And, it, of course, you never go into a match looking for a draw. You never go into a match thinking, eh, guys, let's not try so hard. But that's probably what's in their best interest at this point. And so with that mentality, again, going up against City, I think City takes this one uh, hands down. 
yeah, absolutely no chance that Burnley get anything out of this. I think Sean Dyche is a wily enough character to know that when's going to be the right time to give a little bit more effort and when to sort of hold back. And I think Monday night against Man City at the Etihad is not a day you want to be back in Burnley. So we'll leave it there in terms of that preview. And that is the last of the 12. So we've gone through all of them. That means, Drew, we've now got football to look forward to. How excited are you? Because the Premier League is officially back. Oh, I'm so excited. Dan, the minute we hang up, I'm going to run around my house naked. <laughs> I'm just going to do some laps. This is fantastic. I could, I can't wait. It's been 100 days. Three. This is the longest period I've ever gone without watching the Premier League. Um, I, I mean, I guess you could say summers or whatever. But if you watch the Euros or things like that, it's kind of half the Premier League anyway. So I couldn't be more excited. And I'm guessing you are too. So absolutely love talking with you today. So excited. Thank you all for listening, of course, because we know you're excited as well. But can't wait. My, I'm going to be bleeding from my eyeballs over the next few days watching the Premier League. That's going to be my next question. So there are 12 matches in 12 individual slots. How many... Honestly, are you going to be watching? I'm going to try and watch as many as I can. And, and I, I can't I can't put a number on it right now because I also do like to watch uh, you know, the, the Bundesliga and, you know, uh, Americans and, and their games as well. So I'm going to try and get as many as I can. Definitely the, the individual slots help because they have games before the Bundesliga. They have games after, things like that, and on different days. Um, so, so, so that's going to help a lot. I'm an, out of the 12, I'm going to, I'm going to ambitiously say right now, seven or eight can't promise it, but I'm, I'm going to go for that many. That's a good tally. I like it. Yeah. I think 12 might be hitting it too much, but, um, if I can get into double figures, that's been quite a productive weekend. So that's the challenge. Right. Drew, thank you ever so much, mate. Pleasure as always. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. It was a fantastic time. Certainly a pleasure. And, I can't wait to be watching these games. And then, of course, to talk to you next Tuesday to wrap everything up, talk about what has happened and then what's going to continue to happen. So happy to talk to you. Uh, appreciate it and can't wait for next time. Yep, absolutely. Like you say, next week we're going to digest everything that's happened and we'll go through each of the games one by one and Cole will be back in the fold as well. Right, with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.